how good he has been to us, how much he has done for us. If you would turn with us in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Our focus tonight has been on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us. And so in Mark 8 and verse 1, which we'll read in just a moment, I want you to consider this sermon tonight a sort of prolonged communion meditation. Usually we have our sermon and then we have another uh, smaller meditation and then we go into the Lord's table. But I'm going to combine all of those into one, those two, uh, the sermon and, and the meditation. And it may seem at first like it's a strange passage to go to for communion. But the point of this passage is remembrance. And that is the point of the Lord's table. We are remembering what our Savior has done for us. So in Mark chapter 8 and verse 1, Mark 8 verse 1, the Bible says, In those days the multitude being very great, and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him, and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have been now with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For divers, or many of them, came from far. And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, and brake, and gave it to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. And they had a few small fishes. And he blessed, and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat or the broken food that was left seven baskets, a genuine miracle. Verse 9. And they that had eaten were about 4,000. And he sent them away. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, There shall be no sign given unto this generation. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he, Jesus, charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. In other words, that's why he is saying this. Maybe they thought they were going to try to poison them. I'm not really sure what their thinking was. But in verse 17, And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes, see ye not? And having ears, hear ye not? And do ye not, and what's the next word? Remember. Do you not remember? When I break the five loaves back in Mark chapter 6, among 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they say unto him, Twelve. And then Jesus says in verse 20, And when the, the seven among 4,000 in this second feeding, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not understand? Let's pray. Father, we pray that our ears and our eyes would be opened, that we would truly remember what you have done for us. Help us not to be faithless, but believing. And help us to be mindful every day of our lives of what our Savior has done for us. And we pray that it would be demonstrated in our conduct. We pray that you would teach us lessons through this passage tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of us regularly lose things, keys, wallets, TV remotes, glasses, phones. And some of us are more prone to misplacing things than others. It's not surprising that men are twice as likely to lose their phones as women. One study concluded that the average person misplaces nine things a day and spends an average of 15 minutes looking for lost items. Scientists have discovered that, or they think, when we misplace our belongings, we fail to activate the part of our brain responsible for encoding what we're doing. We lose things when we do not have a clear point of reference of when or where we put down objects like our keys or our glasses. Well, my friend, something happens very, very similarly in the spiritual realm. With all the distractions of life in our finite human nature, we turn our attention to circumstances rather than focusing upon Christ, who is our great reference point. The reference point which never changes, no matter what the situation. Daniel Aiken says this, Remembering what we have seen our Lord do in the past should help us trust Him in the present. If God has saved you from eternal hellfire, and if you've trusted in Christ, He truly has, then can He not deliver you from 
sin, a habit of sin in this present time? Will he not be with you in times of trial and difficulty? But yet we tend to doubt him. This is why we need reminders. We are sometimes forgetful and even hard-hearted, as Jesus says in chapter 8 and verse 17. In spite of seeing the Lord work in the past, we're not sure he can handle our present. It doesn't make much sense, does it? But that's why we need constant reminders of what God has done for us. We need them for ourselves, but we also need them for others around us. We need them for our children. The Bible in the Old Testament tells us repeatedly to teach our children, to take every opportunity to remind them of God's goodness, because that's what all of us stand in need of. I want you to notice two simple points tonight. Number one, Christ responds to our need. Aren't you glad that he cares? Aren't you glad that he is able to meet our needs, but he is also willing? And we see, first of all, the need of the people, which was great. Have you ever tried to feed a hundred people, much less a thousand or four thousand? Even when you have food available, it's hard to feed people to make sure that everyone gets enough. But here we see the great need that these people have and how it parallels their spiritual need. In verse 3, we find that some of them had come a long distance. James Edwards says that the region of the Decapolis, where they were, was rugged and austere. It had fewer towns and settlements than did the western side of the Sea of Galilee. There, was not a, uh, there were not a whole lot of places you could go to to find food and refreshment. And so, as Edward says, it was no place to be without provisions. And in their condition, they would surely faint or collapse, is what Jesus was saying, by the way. If they tried to return home... It's sort of like when you go to a place that you don't know well. And if you like to exercise, you may go out and take a walk. And you begin walking and maybe something is on your mind. You don't really know where you are. Your surroundings are unfamiliar. And you keep walking and walking and walking. All of a sudden you realize you're about an hour and a half from home. Now you're going to have to walk all the way back, and there are no provisions. That's a small taste of what they were facing here. But it's a great opportunity for the Lord Jesus to illustrate how he meets the needs of people. We see also the helplessness of his disciples. Look in verse 4. His disciples said, they answered him in verse 4, from whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? How in the world can you feed all of these people? Now here's the amazing thing, and it parallels our situation. But in Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, just before the feeding of the 5,000, if you want to flip over just a few pages... In Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, they had asked a similar question. 
And here it is. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, The disciples, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Sort of a rhetorical statement. We don't, there's no way that we can feed all of these people. And then God miraculously feeds 5,000 people. Now in chapter 8, here he is again, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has all power at his disposal. And yet the disciples are doubting once again. Have you ever been there? How many times has God met your need in the past, and yet you still worry? You are still full of anxiety. You are racked with care. Even though you've seen God through, God come through repeatedly in the past. We talk about in today's world how full people are of anxiety, how full we are of stress. Let me invite you that As God's people, we have an everlasting provision. Why is it that we doubt? We look at these disciples and we say, how can they ask this question? They just saw the Lord Jesus feed 5,000 people. And here they are in a very similar situation. And they're still doubting. Friends, it's not that far at all from what we do in our own situation in my situation I have worried about how God would meet a financial need in the past and he always comes through he has always provided for me and for my family and yet even after I see the Lord's provision The same thing would happen. God would bring me into another situation where we would have financial need. And I would start to worry. That cold anxiety would begin to build up in my stomach. The same as the disciples. We may not express it out loud, but somehow we constantly need a reminder that God is just as real now as he's ever been. Now, my friend, what is your fear tonight? What is the source of your anxiety? That you're going to be marginalized, that you're going to be forgotten, that you're never going to have enough, that God is not going to take care of you? Maybe that fear and anxiety drive you, becomes the focus and the center of your life, Because you're focused upon circumstances. Let me say that every time we have the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity for us to remind ourselves the lengths that God went to to save our souls. And if He did that, there is nothing He will not do for us. He's going to take care of you. It's a constant reminder of God's provision. As we come to this table tonight, it's a symbolic table. It's a symbolic banquet. We look forward to that time in the messianic kingdom when Jesus comes to rule and to reign. 
when we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But even as we do this, even as we look forward to that time when we will eat and drink with Him in the kingdom, we're also remembering that night of the Passover. The Passover season when He was about to go to the cross, when He was about to die for the sins of mankind. How His body was broken for us. And that's what the bread symbolizes tonight, that little wafer. His body that was broken for us. And as we drink the cup, as we drink the juice, it's a symbolic reminder of His blood which was shed for us. And my, how much He suffered on our behalf. We must remember Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Let's not forget God's provision. And we see that with this miraculous provision. Now, the feedings of the 5,000 and the 4,000 are separate accounts. They vary greatly in detail. For instance, the 5,000 were with Jesus for only one day. The 4,000 were with him for three days. In chapter 6, Jesus offered one prayer of thanks for the 5,000, but with the 4,000, there were two prayers. In the first miracle, Jesus utilized five loaves and two fish, but here he uses seven loaves and a few small fish. In cleaning up after the first miracle, they picked up 12 small baskets of bread. After the second, there were seven large hamper-like baskets of remains. Jesus himself says in Mark 8 and verse 19 that they were two separate incidents. They should have known. They should have connected the two. In chapter 6, the 5,000 were exclusively Jews, but the 4,000 were fed in the Decapolis, and that was a predominantly Gentile area. A lot of differences between the two. But God fed thousands of people. When we come to this table, it's a reminder that Christ died for the sins of mankind. He died for the sins of the whole world. There is enough provision for each one of us. Let me ask you tonight, have you come to Him for salvation You see, this table is a reminder of that. It is not for those who are unsaved. But it's only for those who know Christ as Savior. This is not your means of salvation as we partake tonight. It is not a means of saving grace. I will say that It does give grace in the sense that it strengthens us. It's a reminding grace. And we also, again, look forward to that time when we will eat and drink with our Lord Jesus Christ in person. But this is not a means of saving grace. If you're here today without Christ, you say, what do I have to do to be saved? All you have to do is trust Him. All you have to do is accept that free gift of salvation through Him. 
But as we partake tonight, what we're doing is remembering his sacrifice on our behalf. That there is room at the cross for all who come. Aren't you glad that God is never too busy for you? Do you, do you realize that? God does not have, and I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but he, you know, you remember call waiting? Isn't that fun to be put on hold on the phone? And to hear elevator music for however long it is. God doesn't do that. God hears our prayers. Have you ever thought what a powerful God we serve? That He can tend to each one of us individually. His blood availed for me, unworthy sinner that I am. It availed for you. That's what He did for us. That's why He not only responds to our need, but He reminds us of our need. He reminds us of what He has done for us. So I want to go on to number two, the reminder. The reminder. Two things are happening here. First of all, we see the unbelief of the Pharisees. We see this in Jesus' confrontation with them. The Greek words used in verse 11 indicate deep hostility. They're not just coming out of curiosity. James Edwards says they not only question him, but they dispute or oppose him. This is adversarial. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to catch him in his words. They're trying to disprove and discredit him any way that they can. They try to corner him and manipulate him into making a mistake. They are not sincere seekers of truth, but they have become hardened skeptics who try to discredit our Lord. What a sad way to be. In fact, the Greek word for tempting in verse 11 does not mean an objective test. If you'll Look back with me, Mark chapter 8 and verse 11, when it says that they were tempting him, it means that they were putting a, an obstacle in front of him, a stumbling block, attempting to discredit him. This occurs only four times in Mark. Once of Jesus's, or of Satan's temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, in Mark 1.13. But then it occurs three times in reference to the opposition of the Pharisees. They were just like their father, the devil. And anyone who comes in hardened opposition, doubting the word of God, it is the spirit of Satan that is at work. It's not a sincere search for truth. So it's apparent in verse 11 that the Pharisees represent a challenge and a confrontation of Jesus. And I want you to notice how Jesus responds here to this. In verse 12, it says, And he sighed deeply in his spirit. He's not so much angry as he is dismayed by their lack of faith. The original Greek reads that he groaned in his spirit, dismayed at their unbelief and at their hardness of heart. 
I guess you could ask the question, how many miracles is it going to take? There are people like that today. Maybe they allow their intellect to get in the way of them and, and salvation. They just can't get out of their own way. Maybe others allow wealth and riches to get in the way. Prestige, whatever the case, these men were hardened against Christ. And that's why in verse 15, Christ warned his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, friends, what warning is Jesus giving to us tonight when he says, beware of the leaven? Well, he's talking about religious hypocrisy. He's talking about false teaching, that you can be saved by the observance of the law or by some particular identity, religious identity that you hold. But I think that this is the main thing because this is where all of those things arise, from which all of those things arise. The warning is against unbelief. Unbelief. Now, friends, that is one type of forgetfulness that is deadly to the soul. There's another type of forgetfulness, and this is in, in reference to the disciples. Let her be the forgetfulness of his disciples. He says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And William MacDonald says this, the disciples completely missed the point. All they could think of was food. And so he directs nine rapid questions to them. And the first five reproved them for their obtuseness. In other words, they were not spiritually alert to the truth that what God, of what God was teaching. There's a little story that there was a preacher known for his loud preaching. Imagine that. One day a lady with a hearing problem said, Preacher, I want to thank you for preaching loud enough for those of us who are hard of hearing. And the preacher responded, Thank you, ma'am, but actually I preach loud for the hard-headed rather than the hard of hearing. And how many times are we hard-headed? Hard of heart. Sometimes we've already made up our minds how we're going to respond. And the Holy Spirit tries to convict and we oppose. The Holy Spirit says you'd better take care of those bad feelings that you have against your brother or your sister in Christ. And you say, no, not a chance. I'm going to hold on to my rights. I'm right. That person has wronged me. I'm not giving up my rights. Are you hardened tonight? Are you holding on to something, refusing to get it right? before God. What a bad way to be. But sometimes it's just carelessness. Sometimes we're not prepared to hear the Word of God. It's not so much that we have hostility in our hearts. We're just spiritually lazy. We don't prepare ourselves to come to God's house. We're not tender to His Word, to the singing of the songs and to the preaching of the word. We tune out. 
Friends, this is the time that you listen and that you soak in what God has for all of us. This is what we mean by being tender-hearted. Jesus rebukes his disciples for that, for not being open to the truth. The last four questions rebuke them for worrying about the supply of their needs as long as he was with them. Had he not fed 5,000? Had he not fed 4,000? And then why did they not understand that he was abundantly able to supply the needs of a handful of disciples in a boat? Jesus says, men, I'm not talking about food. I'm not talking about literal food. It's a metaphor. I'm talking about the unbelief that issues forth in hypocrisy and false doctrine. But their mind was on other things. And they had to be reminded. They had one loaf in the boat. And what was their immediate thought? Oh, no. You know, how are we going to pull this off? We can't borrow food from the Pharisees, so what else are we going to do? And Christ just shakes his head. They missed the point entirely of what he was saying. Because they were thinking about other things. They were forgetful. God forbid that we would not be the same as we come to this table. That's why we repeat over and over again what this table means and why we do what we do. But friends, it's not just repetition in words. You've got to prepare your heart. That's not something I can do for you. You've got to do that yourself as one of God's people. This has to be real to you. You have to consider the sufferings of our Lord what he went through at Calvary. And then you have to make that connection in daily life. He's not going to leave you behind. He's not going to abandon you. There is one type of forgetfulness for which God in his grace has provided many reminders. And you know, the, the Lord's table is one of those. Again, it's a symbolic meal. It's acted out. We... We preach it in word, but we also do this as, as sort of a demonstration or a living parable about what Christ has done for us. And in that way, God has given us this ordinance in his grace to remind us of what he has done for us. So it, it guards against that type of forgetfulness. But I do want to issue this warning as well. There's another type of forgetfulness, which comes from hardened unbelief that we saw with the Pharisees. In the Chronicles of Narnia, if you've ever read those books by C.S. Lewis, Susan is one of the characters featured in the first book, very, very famous, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. However, she's conspicuously absent from an early scene in the book The Last Battle. The last battle includes every character who traveled to Narnia as a child. And the book eventually reveals that the reason why Susan was absent was because she grew up and she moved on to other interests. My sister Susan, says Peter, is no longer a friend of Narnia. 
It's a very sad little parable about people who turn their backs and walk away from the Lord. And friends, that is the most terrible type of forgetfulness. When you can see what the Lord has done, just like the Pharisees of old, and there were many others who saw the miracles of our Lord, and yet they hardened their hearts in unbelief, and they walk away from God. I hope that that would be no one in this room. Let's ask God to capture the hearts of our children, of the next generation, so that they would not turn their backs upon Him. Let's pray that we would never turn our back upon Him. And as we come to this table tonight, it's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, I love you. And I'm going to be faithful to you. Thank you for what you have done for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Lord, we are sorry that we need reminders so many times. You have done such great things for us. And yet we are so forgetful. So I pray that you would forgive us of that. And I pray, Lord, that with this reminder tonight, that each of us would have the same heart and the same mind. I pray that there would not be any ill will against our brothers or our sisters in Christ. But that we could say with one voice, all of us who know Christ as Savior, that we love you. We're remembering what Christ has done for us. We are proclaiming it in this table corporately. And as a result, we pray, Lord, that you would continue your work of grace in our lives. Prepare us to go out to a lost and dying world where we proclaim the message, the good news of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name.